Part three, chapter twenty five of the Tree of Heaven by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part three, Victory, chapter twenty five. Anthony was going into the house to take back the key of the workshop. He had locked the door of the workshop a year ago after Nicky's death and had not opened it again until today. This afternoon in the orchard he had seen that the props of the old apple tree were broken, and he had thought that he would like to make new ones, and the wood was in the workshop. Everything in there was as it had been when Nicky finished with his moving fortress. The brass and steel filings lay in a heap under the lathe. The handle was tilted at the point where he had left it. Pits in the sawdust showed where his feet had stood. His overalls hung over the bench where he had slipped them off. Anthony had sat down on the bench and had looked at these things with remembrance and foreboding. He thought of Nicky and of Nicky's pleasure and excitement over the unpacking of his first lathe, the one he had begged for for his birthday, and of his own pleasure and excitement as he watched his boy handling it and showing him so cleverly how it worked. It stood there still in the corner. Nicky had given it to Veronica. He had taught her how to use it and Anthony thought of Veronica when she was little. He saw Nicky taking care of her, teaching her to run and ride and play games. And he remembered what Veronica's mother had said to him and Francis, wait till Nicky has children of his own. He thought of John. John had volunteered three times and had been three times rejected. And now conscription had got him. He had to appear before the board of examiners that afternoon. He might be rejected again but the standard was not so exacting as it had been. John might be taken. He thought of his business, John's business and his, and Barty's. Those big government contracts had more than saved them. They were making tons of money out of the war. Even when the government cut down their profits, even when they had given more than half they made to the war funds, the fact remained that they were living on the war. Barty, without a wife or children, was appallingly rich john were taken if john were killed if michael died michael had been reported seriously wounded he had thought then of michael and he had not been able to bear thinking any more he had got up and left the workshop locking the door behind him forgetting what he had gone in for and he had taken the key back to the house he kept it in what his children used to call the secret drawer of his bureau it lay there with Nicky's last letter of June 1915 and a slab of coromandel wood. It was when he was going into the house with the key that John met him. Have they taken you? Yes. John's face was hard and white. They went together into Anthony's room. It's what you wanted, Anthony said. Of course it's what I wanted. I want it more than ever now. The wire's come, father. Mother opened it. It was five days now since they had heard that Michael had died of his wounds. Frances was in Michael's room. She was waiting for Dorothea and Veronica to help her to find his papers. It was eight o'clock in the evening, and they had to be sorted and laid out ready for Morton Ellis to look over them tomorrow. Tomorrow Morton Ellis would come, and he would take them away. The doors of Michael's and of Nicky's rooms were always kept shut. Frances knew that if she were to open the door on the other side of the corridor and look in, everything in Nicky's room would welcome her with tenderness, 
even while it inflicted its unique and separate wound but michael's room was bare and silent he had cleared everything away out of her sight last year before he went the very books on the shelves repudiated her reminded her that she had never understood him that he had always escaped her his room kept his secret and she felt afraid and abashed in it knowing herself an intruder presently all that was most precious in it would be taken from her and given over to a stranger whom he had never liked her mind turned and fastened on one object the stiff naked wooden chair standing in its place before the oak table by the window she remembered how she had come to michael there and found him writing at his table and how she had talked to him as though he had been a shirker and a coward she had borne nicky's death but she could not bear michael's she stood there in his room staring hypnotized by her memory she heard dorothea come in and go out again and then veronica came in she turned to veronica to help her she clung to veronica and was jealous of her veronica had not come between her and nicky as long as he was alive but now that he was dead she came between them she came between her and michael too michael's mind had always been beyond her she could only reach it through veronica and through veronica's secret her mind clutched at veronica's secret and flung it away as useless and returned clutching at it again it was as if veronica held the souls of michael and nicholas in her hands she offered her the souls of her dead sons she was the mediator between her and their souls i could bear it veronica if i hadn't made him go i came to him here in this room and bullied him till he went i said horrible things to him that he must have remembered he wasn't like nicky it was infinitely worse for him and i was cruel to him i had no pity i drove him out to be killed and i simply cannot bear it but he didn't go then he waited till till he was free if anybody could have made him nicky could but it wasn't even nicky it was himself if he'd been killed as nicky was but to die like that in hospital of those horrible wounds he was leading a charge just as nicky was and you know he was happy just as nicky was every line he's written shows that he was happy it only shows that they were both full of life that they loved their life and wanted to live it's no use ronny you're saying you know they're there i don't i'd give anything to believe it and yet it wouldn't be a bit of good if i did i don't want them all changed into something spiritual that i shouldn't know if it was there i want their bodies with me just as they used to be i want to hear them and touch them and see them come in in their old clothes to see nicky standing on the hearthrug with timmy in his arms i want things like that ronny even if you're right it's all clean gone her lips tightened i'm talking as if i was the only one but i know it's worse for you ronny i had them all those years and i've got anthony you've had nothing but your poor three days veronica thought how can i tell her that i've got more than she thinks it's awful that i should have what she hasn't she was ashamed and beaten before this irreparable mortal grief and it's worse francis said for the wretched mothers whose sons haven't fought for her pride rose in her again the pride that uplifted her supernaturally when nicky died you mustn't think i grudge them i don't i don't even grudge john the silence of michael's room sank into them 
It weighed on their hearts, and they were afraid of each other's voices. Francis was glad when Dorothy came, and they could begin their work there. But Michael had not left them much to do. They found his papers all in one drawer of his writing-table, sorted and packed and labelled, ready for Morton Ellis to take away. One sealed envelope lay in a place by itself. Francis thought, he didn't want any of us to touch his things. Then she saw Veronica's name on the sealed envelope. She was glad when Veronica left them and went to her hospital. And when she was gone, she wanted her back again. I wish I hadn't spoken that way to Veronica, she said. She won't mind. She knows you couldn't help it. I could, Dorothy, if I wasn't jealous of her. I mean, I'm jealous of her certainty. If I had it, too, I shouldn't be jealous. She wants you to have it. She's trying to give it you. Mother, how do we know she isn't right? Nicky said she was, and Michael said Nicky was right. If it had been only Nicky, he might have got it from Veronica. But Michael never got things from anybody, and you do know things in queer ways. Even I do. At least I did once when I was in prison. I knew something tremendous was going to happen. I saw it, or felt it, or something. I won't swear I knew it was the war. I don't suppose I did. But I knew Frank was all mixed up with it, and it was the most awfully real thing. You couldn't go back on it or get behind it. It was as if I'd seen that he and Lawrence and Nicky and Michael and all of them would die in it to save the whole world, like Christ, only that they really did die and the whole world was saved. There was nothing futile about it. Well? Well, they might see their real thing the same way, in a flash. Aren't they a thousand times more likely to know than we are? What right have we, sitting here safe, to say it isn't when they say it is? But, if there's anything in it, why can't I see it as well as you and Veronica? After all, I'm their mother. Perhaps that's why it takes you longer, Mummy. You think of their bodies more than we do because they were part of your body. Their souls, or whatever it is, aren't as real to you just at first. I see, said Francis bitterly. You've only got to be a mother and give your children your flesh and blood to be sure of their souls going from you and somebody else getting them. That's the price you pay for being mothers. Was Frank's soul ever more real to you, Dorothy? Yes, it was, once, for just one minute. The night he went away. That's another queer thing that happened. It didn't satisfy you, darling, did it? Of course it didn't satisfy me. I want more and more of it, not just flashes. You say it's the price we pay for being mothers. Yet if Veronica had had a child... You needn't be so sorry for Veronica. I'm not. It's you I'm sorriest for. You've had nothing. From beginning to end, you had nothing. I might at least have seen that you had it in the beginning. You, mummy? Yes, me. You shall have it now, unless you want to leave me. I wouldn't leave you for the world, Mummy Ducky. Only you must let me work always and all the time. Let you? I'll let you do what you like, my dear. You always have let me, haven't you? It was the least I could do. Poor Mummy, did you think you had to make up because you cared for them more than me? I wonder, said Francis thoughtfully, if I did. Of course, of course you did. Who wouldn't? I never meant you to know it, Dorothy. Of course I knew it. I must have known it ever since Michael was born. I knew you couldn't help it. You had to. Even when I was a tiresome kid, I knew you had to. It was natural. 
natural or unnatural many girls have hated their mothers for less you've been very big and generous perhaps if you'd been little and weak but you were always such an independent thing i used to think you didn't want me i wanted you a lot more than you thought but you see i've learned to do without she thought it's better she should have it straight if you'd think less about me mother she said and more about father father yes father isn't independent though he looks it he wants you awfully he always has wanted you and he hasn't learned to do without where is he he's sitting out there in the garden all by himself in the dark under the tree francis went to him there i wondered whether you would come to me he said i was doing something for michael is it done yes it's done five months passed it was november now in the lane by the side door anthony was waiting in his car rain was falling hanging from the trees and falling every now and then he looked at his watch he had still a quarter of an hour before he need start but he was not going back into the house they were all in there saying good-bye to john old mrs fleming and louis and emmeline and edith and maurice and his brother bartie the door in the garden wall opened and they came out the four women in black the black they still wore for michael and the two men they all walked slowly up the lane anthony could see bartie's shoulders hunched irritably against the rain he could see maury carrying his sodden quivering body with care and an exaggerated sobriety he saw granny going slowly under the umbrella very upright and conscious of herself as wonderful and outlasting he got down and cranked up his engine then he sat sternly in his car and waited with his hands on the steering wheel ready the engine throbbed impatient for the start john came out very quickly and took his seat beside his father and the car went slowly towards the high road uncle maury stood waiting for it by the gate at the top of the lane as it passed through he straightened himself and put up his hands in a crapulous salute the young man smiled at him saluted and was gone end of part three chapter twenty five recording by expatriate in bangor maine end of the tree of heaven by may sinclair